0: Hi everyone, welcome to SETCHE Talks, the podcast out of the Caesar E. Chavez Center for Higher Education. My name is Sam, I am your local friendly SJL. I still don't get that right, but that's all right. We're just gonna keep going with it. And today I am joined by some very special people for a very special episode of SETCHE Talks. Now, before we get started, I wanna give a quick trigger warning. Because we are talking with SAS, Chances are that discussions of sexual violence are going to come up during this conversation. If you are not in the headspace to hear this, we understand this is all your own disclosure, but we just wanted to give you the opportunity to know. Also, as such a talks, we try to keep this relatively COVID free as a discussion, but due to the nature of um, our world right now, and it'll possibly come up. So I would just want to let you know that that is also potentially going to be mentioned. And with that said, let's meet our guests. Who wants to go first? Please introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and something cool about you. All right. Okay,
1: I'll, I'll go first. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Claire Hers, and I work at Survivor Advocacy Services as a peer educator. One fun fact about myself is that I love to travel and have been to several countries around the world, including France, Greece, Spain, Portugal, Holland, England, Ireland, and many more. It was really nice to meet you.
0: Meanwhile, I've been to California and Arizona. All right. That's <laughs> no, really cool. Admirable
2: <laughs> states. I love it. Anyways. My name is Sierra Vayas. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and oh my goodness, this is a hard question. Like, what's a fun fact about me? Um, well, along with working at SAS, I also volunteer as a sexual assault counselor at, Surviv- or at, at ugh, Project Sister Family Services in Pomona, which is a local rape crisis center, and I also work at a small mom-and-pop Mexican restaurant on the weekends. You know, do what you gotta do.
0: Dang, you are busy. That's awesome. I love the hustle.
3: Uh, she's getting up. All right. Um, thank you, guys. My name is um, Mariana Geary. I am a peer educator at SAS. Um, a fun fact about me is oh, I had the fact and it just slipped out of my mind at this moment. Oh, um, the fun fact about me is um, I like to make music. Um, I'm not like a pro or anything, but it's like my safe space. So yeah. I like to make mixes and I also like to write songs um, in my free time. Yep. And nice to meet you, Sam. And thanks for having us.
0: I'm super excited to huh, have y'all. This is gonna be great. All right, and y'all know me. I am Sam. My pronouns are she or her, hers. I'm the one that if you were physically at the center you would see carrying around like three different books because i always have a book on me it's like you cannot minimize Zoom while you're recording a meeting how do you want me to see the questions all right <laughs> so that said we're going to go into our first question for y'all which is what is SAS?
3: all right i can take that one and then if any of the peers want to chime in for anything feel free all right so Survivor Advocacy Services, aka SAS, is the department on campus that provides confidential and emotional support to survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence, rape, and stalking. The difference between our department and Title IX is they're more of the logistic side and we are more emotional based. So we're more there um, for the well being of our students. Um, well, not that they're not part of the well being, but you know, we're. We're more than through the emotional journey. Um, Our amazing senior coordinator and survivor advocate, Rhonda Dixon, um, she couldn't be here today, but she is um, the amazing woman that um, is the head of our our department. She works one-on-one with students um, to give them exactly what they need in their healing process, Uh, whether it be through legal matters such as filing or reporting assault, um, she also can can accompany them on court, in court. Um, She can assist them with the safety plan. She can refer them to other on or off campus resources, or she could simply be an ear of comfort. Um, She also helps them through the healing process um, in ways of programming like confidential support groups, or um, this year we actually have healing through yoga, which is another, trauma-informed lesson for survivors. Um, And and more of what us peer educators do is we focus on programming for prevention education, as well as overall promoting advocacy to the campus community. Um, For the education portion, we put on informative programs like party safety or how to be an active bystander, uh, sexual assault 101, and how to recognize signs of a toxic relationship. For certain months, we put on programs in light to raise awareness to them. For example, um, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, so pre-COVID, we had hiked up to the CPP letters, which are um, on top of J-Hall, not J-Hall. Um, they're, on, they're behind the parking lot, J-Lot. I think they're behind J-Lot, um, behind um, College of Agriculture. Um, we hiked up the letters and painted them purple um, because purple is the color for DV awareness. Um, to overall um, show our community that are DV survivors. Um, But overall, um, the goal of our department and all involved in it is to inform the campus community of these issues, as well as creating a safe space and welcoming environment.
0: All right. So you're all peer educators, just because when you're saying all that um, made me think. So do you have like specific roles as peer educators? Because I know between the SJLs, we each have our own tasks. So like I'm newsletter and communications brenda is she does a lot of things actually but hers is like social media so do you all have specific roles like that
3: um no not necessarily i think we all and we're like all on level playing field um i well Clarissa and sierra are actually newer to the team so um i i just try um because dory and i are other peer educator we've been there longer so We just try to um, get them, get the ball rolling with them, which is throwing them in in the pool and just letting them um, learn about everything that we've done. Um, So no, we pretty much all do the same thing. We all program, we all um, post on social media for advocacy. Um, Yeah, it's like, it's basically like whoever is working and whoever is able to, we're like, can you please do this? So
1: yeah, not really, we're all just working together. I was gonna say, Marianne is a person, she is able to, like, not only show what an amazing peer educator should be, but she helps us, and, like, she's been able to help Sierra and I be able to, like, essentially not drown, (laughs) um, and I think we, we, we've been doing an amazing job being able to distribute the amount of workload, especially because Sierra and I are currently still students at Cal Poly, and, um, Dory and I know Marianne and Cyril. we all have lives. We all have other things to do. And I think we have been able to um, distribute the job evenly and in a way that fits everyone's schedule. And um, of course, we all reach out to other people and other programs of what we are interested as well. So yeah,
2: yeah, that's our rules. No, yeah, Marianne and Dory are definitely like, you know, we re- very much like look up, up to like our senior best like, follow following their footsteps, you know? Very big shoes to fill, but they do a really great job about like teaching us like how to spread prevention education around the campus, especially like in these like weird like virtual times. So, shout out
3: to y'all. Aw, you guys are so sweet, but I promise um, you guys are doing so amazing for only being here for like the time that you have been, um, like seriously. You guys are are putting in work, and yeah. So thank you for all the kind words. Of the love fest out here <laughs> during the podcast. Thank you guys.
0: All right. So the official second question is: Why do you do the work that you do with SAS?
1: I'll go ahead and start. So I joined SAS because I enjoy working in any profession. Prior to working at SAS, I actually worked as an EMT and worked directly hands-on with people in the field in underprivileged communities. I also came across several patients who were survivors of domestic abuse, sexual violence, and even suicidal ideations. I knew that I wanted to continue to give back in my community and help those in need. I found myself wanting to help my campus community at CPP um, and becoming an advocate for violence and domestic abuse. So that's why I joined SAS.
2: Yes, Clarissa is such like a bad B. I mean, like an EMT, that's so dope. Like, she's so dope. But yes, like, kind of, you know, somewhat similarly, like for me, I definitely feel really lit a fire in me to really throw myself into advocacy, especially having these opportunities to work one-on-one with survivors of, a lot of different things, like from human trafficking to dating abuse, to sexual violence. And I feel like even before I started at Project Sister and at SAS, I think that personally, just witnessing friends and family go through situations like this and not even like realize what exactly was happening to them is what really inspired me to choose this line of work like in the first place.
3: A hundred percent. To add on as well to both of you, like I totally agree. And um, I I commend both of you for wanting to go into the field because it is really difficult. Um, it is very heavy, like to to having to hear what really does happen. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, for me, um, I am a social major, so it was kind of like in my in my field, and I was always interested in in going into something that um, was. Um, relevant to like what I was studying in school. So SOSC was like, I'm, I'm sorry, SAS was like the first job I've had related to Soch. Um And actually, I ironically, working at SAS and learning about the sexual violences, um, I mean, I loved it at first. I love the environment and um, you know, I was really into it, but it wasn't until I started really learning about everything, I realized that I myself had been a survivor in ways I never knew before. And I feel like, you know, just that that empathy in myself um, and in learning all of these different things really emerged me into it as well, because, you know, you really do feel for students and it really is common, even though we don't discuss it. So yeah, that for me, at least, that's why I, I love working at SAS because I love being an ally for you know for people that have probably gone through something similar so yeah
0: like I said uh it's more common but we don't really uh talk about it because that's something that I think as I've started I keep saying growing up when I'm 21 years old I'm technically a grown-up (laughs) um but I think it's something that as I've gotten older I've realized yeah it's a lot more common than I ever thought it was as a kid you know I the amount of friends I've had who've experienced something like that um and didn't even realize it you know so I really admire the work y'all do I'm like I'm glad our campus has somewhere a group that's like focused on helping people through that
2: yeah, thank you. And I, I think you bring up like a great point. Like you don't really realize like how prevalent it is until like you get, I mean, like you mature and you like get older. And especially like working at SAS these past few months, it's been like, very eye opening. And honestly, like to be like, very honest, like really triggering for me, you know. And it's like, you know, like we're doing like we're doing an event or something. And I'm like, really like relating to like what we're talking about. And I'm like, oh, like, it's just very like, it's like teaching me like, oh, like looking back at like my past experiences, like, oh, like that wasn't OK, you know, like like that is like that, that behavior or like that situation. Like I wasn't comfortable with that, you know, or looking at like the people around me like, oh, like this is what they're going through right now. And so I just think that, you know, like being or working with SAS and being around a department like SAS, it's like it's a very like you're kind of like forced to like grow with yourself and like reflect and like things like that.
3: Yeah, I I, 100% Sierra, like, it is kind of hard sometimes. But also, I I am grateful that we do have this resource within itself. Um, I I oftentimes a lot of survivors don't realize that they have had it until even years later. And that's very common. And it shouldn't, you know, people shouldn't be like, like, true, like, you know, you don't really accept trauma when it happens. And, um, A lot of time too, sometimes people think trauma is the most intense form of it. So when they think of um, an abusive relationship, they think, um, you know, being, you know, the most, the most violent form of it, but they don't really think that, you know, those, the way that you talk to your partner in a, you know, in a a bad way, in a bad tone is, is a, a mild form of abuse. Like I just look their own experiences because they think, oh, or at least this is what happened with me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, other survivors have gone through much, much difficult times, so I shouldn't think that I'm a survivor. So, so yeah, I think it's shedding light to no matter what spectrum of abuse or like what spectrum of sexual assault you've gone through, it's all valid, and none of it should be overlooked because they're all, they're all forms of trauma that we face. So, I just wanted to bring that up, also.
2: Yeah, 100%, Marianne. Thank you for sharing that with us, too. But yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for a lot of us at SAS, it's like, as we're doing our work, we're like, wow, like, I'm really seeing myself in these students and these survivors. And it's like, it's like, wait a minute, like, why am I seeing myself in these people? I'm like, oh, it's like, I've gone through what they've gone through, you know, I know what it feels to, you know, I can like, sympathize and empathize on like, what, like, what it feels like to be put through something like that. And I think that's why, like, I mean, I'm very proud of the work now.
1: I feel like for me these workshops have not only made me feel like I'm giving something back to my community but it's also like making me a better person myself and it's having me grow in all of my relationships in my life especially like my personal relationships my interpersonal relationships um with my partner especially especially in realizing like okay what is the proper way of going around certain situations? What is not okay? And um, I feel like working at SAS has definitely helped me in my life as well. I could not agree with that
2: more. 100% like working here has like, taught me to be like a better partner to my partner, you know, to be like a better like friend and to be like a better like daughter, you know, it's very much taught me like to, how to like nurture. So
0: our center is based around the Latinx community, of course, we're welcome to everyone, regardless of Latinidad and anybody is welcome to participate and come in, but a lot of our events are centered around Latinx culture, a lot of our programs. So for the Latinx community especially, why do y'all you, you think that it's important for them to know about the services y'all offer at SAS?
1: Um. I think it's important for the Latinx community to know about our services and what we provide because essentially we're here to help. Um, As a proud Latina, not only do I identify with the community and the culture, but I understand like the history behind the culture and our culture. And sometimes certain aspects of our deep roots such as machismo can be hard to break away from that. And I think it's crucial to become aware of the dangers of it. It's also important that we one another and have um, like a safe space for each other and create allies and um, we can help each other grow and become better individuals and break away from certain dangerous patterns.
2: Yeah, for sure, going off like what Clarissa just said, it, I think that much like the machismo way of thinking is so deeply, deeply embedded in Latinx culture that it can be really difficult for us to like remove ourselves from it because it's just so intertwined with like, just like our normal culture, which is just a whole other thing, a whole other podcast we could talk, go off and talk about. But I just think that it's super important for the Latinx community to know about SAS and what we do because knowledge is power. The more we can connect with this community, the more we can connect or continue to destigmatize things like therapy or asking for help or having these difficult conversations. You know, I think that it's really important that we connect, that SAS connects with the Latinx community because we can really help in like rewiring the way that we view ourselves and our relationships and just like our overall like well being and like understanding like what we deserve you know, and not what Machismo thinks that, you know, people in the Latinx community deserve.
3: I, I am not part of the Latinx community, um, but I feel like a lot, I'm an Asian American, I'm Filipino, and um, I feel like a lot of the deep-rooted aspects of the Latinx community is actually similar to, um, in, in Asian cultures, traditional Asian cultures, men are, you know, they have the male hierarchy in the household. Therefore, it's never like, no matter what, the men are always the favorites or they always have the valid say. And the women are the ones who traditionally um, clean or do, you know, do the dishes, all that stuff. So I guess um, um, I I really love how um, we are able to um, have our services, um, these things deep rooted in culture, And even though I'm not part of the Latinx community, I I definitely, um, I definitely hope that um, it's, it is, um, they, um, oh gosh, please cut this all out now. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, But yeah, I, I, I um, I hope that they can find themselves in, in our department as well. Um,
0: I was going to say, Sierra, I think you should say that for the actual podcast, Will you put in the chat.
3: I wasn't sure if I was supposed to,
2: but yeah, I'm gonna throw that in there. Marianne, Philippines, and South America were colonized by the same
3: people, so we went in the same baby. Period. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, yeah, we do come from kind of the same roots. So, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, like un very like very unfortunately, we you know our cultures are very similar with like that same like foundation of Spanish or Portuguese or whoever invaded our. OG homelands. But yeah, I think that a lot of you know, Filipinos and like other Asian Americans and also find a lot of familiarity and like common ground, you know, like with the Latinx community and bigger umbrella SAS as well. So.
3: Okay. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And and last a note of this section, I just wanted to say too, I feel like the Latinx community, especially at Cal Poly is huge and i love that i love how diverse our campus is and and how prevalent the um latinx community is so another reason why i think it's so important for um the latinx community to be part of our department because i feel like being able to bring bring our department into their um into their culture into their people um the more
0: awareness is brought like in general so uh, yeah, saying that earlier and i was just because i i am also athena um it you're right it's huge um i feel like especially with the athenics culture um it's like embedded into a lot of it which is something i didn't realize growing up because i'm My family is very much like, screw your gender norms, which I appreciate. But I feel like also it's like, it's like in big ways in our culture, we see it, but also like in some of the tiniest things, like my grandma told me stories about like, when she first married my gramps, met his family, an aunt told her that she needs to wake up early in the morning before he does. So that way she could make herself presentable for him you know go to sleep after he does so that way he doesn't see her without like her makeup and her finery and things like that and it's just like these I don't think people realize these small things add up to that overall bigger picture and luckily I don't think my grandma cares my grandma lighting makeup or anything you know I don't know if he loves her for her but it's like small things in our culture that add to this really large problem. So I'm glad you all mentioned the machismo playing a big part into this. All right, so the next question is, how can our students and our community take steps to get involved in stopping sexual violence in our communities?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. And there is so many things that our students and our community can do, starting with just becoming advocates themselves. Like you don't need to have like that official like title to be an advocate and to do good work like that. you know. It can be as easy as sharing information on our social on social medias to your stories, or retweeting whatever we tweet or attending one of our workshops or one similar to it. It's all about spreading awareness, knowing where to find resources, and making sure that survivors feel uplifted, safe, and supported. If anyone else wants to chime in.
1: I was going to say, yeah, I mean, going off of what Sierra is saying, I think one, um, it's important that one seeks help if they see themselves in need of assistance of sexual violence. And second, seeking out resources are important. And I think the CAP Center does an amazing job of helping students in it. And we at SAS will help advocate and educate one of the dangers of sexual violence. And, um, at SAS, like our programs focus on all aspects of violence and creating those boundaries. So, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's just like, you know, you don't need, like, like I said before, like you don't need to have like the official like title of like an advocate or, you know, peer educator, like myself and still like post what I post, you know? And I mean, we're learning the same information. It's all about just like starting those conversations, like within your community, whether it be Latinx or Asian or whatever it may be, you know? It's just about just spreading the information, you know, and making sure that the people around you and beyond that are well-informed as well.
0: All right, this is kind of tied in, I feel like, um, and it's a, one of those questions that uh, just popped into my head while y'all were talking, so apologize for there being so many of those. Y'all just make me think things. Um, so if someone has a friend or just a loved one someone they're close to in general who's experienced sexual violence, is there, how would, how could they help support them? Like in general, not just like, you know, oh, if they go to Cal Poly, then direct them towards SAS, you know, but in general, what are some things that y'all think we could do to be allies and support and help our friends?
3: Um, I think the big, can you guys hear me well? Okay, cool. Um, I think one of the biggest and most important things is to know that loved one or friend that's going through something difficult. Um, I completely understand it's a heavy topic and not a lot of people really know how to respond. So I know it's sometimes you don't know what to say, but you know, just being able to say, I'm here for you, I'm listening. Everything you're going through is valid. I feel like those that's more than enough. So I feel like that's a good first step um, in in responding to, to somebody. Um, I think the second would be asking them or before giving them resources. I think the first thing you want to ask as well is, what would you like to do with this information? Do you want, do you want to report it or did you just want, you know, to talk to a trusted individual about it or to me about it? Um, I want to, I want to honor whatever, you know, because you are the survivor, it's your experience. Um, like, what do you want to do? So then if they do say, like, I, I want to, um, I want a reporter, I want to talk to, you know, a professional, then, then, then you can try and help them find resources, just really being as empathetic as, as you can.
2: Yeah, Mary, I'm so sorry to cut you off. But I just like, want to, like, reemphasize, like, what you just said, because you said that perfectly. It's like, you know, you ask them, like, what do you want to do? Because in so many, and like, honestly, I don't want to like overgeneralize, but almost all of these situations, this person is in a position with very little or no power. So you want to ask them what they want to do, you know, you want to give the control back to them. Like, this is like your experience. This is your story. Like, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to just vent to me about it? Because, you know, do you need uh, like, do you need to like make a plan to escape? You know, do you need somewhere to like stay? Do, you want, do we need to find like temporary housing for you, you know? do you want to talk to professional about it? Things like that. It's all about giving the survivor back the control and having, and giving them back like that power that was taken away from them. Do you want me to,
1: to engage in what you're saying? And it does give them that control. And I think, um, sometimes in the beginning survivors just want to be listened to. And I think, um, sometimes if you try to fix everything all at once, that could scare that person. And I think, um, having them know that you are a strong support or a good, good peer is going to have them come to you in the future.
2: Yeah, that was like, perfectly clear. Personally speaking, it's like, I feel like the scariest thing to be in a situation like that is like alone. So it's really important to be a very good, like, you know, a strong support system for the person you're supporting, you know?
1: One last thing. I think also, I think it's okay to say or let them know, like, these things aren't okay, um, like giving them the advice on letting me know that this these things are okay, like the way that they're feeling is completely validated. And um, we are here to help them and to listen. And if they want to seek help, that that is completely normal. And I think Se- seeking help sometimes is looked down upon and um, I, I know especially with the Latinx community sometimes asking for help or going to therapy or having a third party come in and listening to you could be looked down as a negative but I think we need to change that norm and is by maybe doing it yourself first and yeah. Yeah. It's not a weakness to seek help like what Sierra I think said too <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that people listening to this are gonna find it super helpful I mean I'm, I'm already finding it super helpful so I appreciate y'all you know um, giving us this just giving us this information telling us these things so that we can all you know, their self as allies and know that these resources are available. Um, All right. So something we do at the end, I try to have everyone do at the end of every podcast um, because I am very much into self-care. As someone who has struggled with my mental health for many, many years, self-care is very important to me. So I try to get self-care corner into every episode possible. And I think especially when discussing potentially triggering topics or, you know, so-called heavy topics, which are important for us to discuss. We also need to like mind our self-care. So my question for y'all is what are the things that you do to practice self-care?
1: I myself, what I do to practice self-care is just spend time with my family and my friends and just try to regroup myself. I think it's also important to treat yourself, as we say. And um, the way I do that is just like going out to eat, trying new foods, going to a co and um, just simply if I if I'm tired, just sleep it off, rest and regroup.
2: Yeah, and then for myself, I mean, I would love to say that I like some like semi regularly work out, but. With my schedule that's often not the case but when i do have a chance i really do enjoy working out stretching but those times where i don't have a lot of like time and like i need desk really need like a minute to myself i think it's just really important to be intentional about like what you do it doesn't have to be like something like you, you don't need to go on like a five mile jog and you don't need to like have like a glass of wine and put on a face mask kind of thing you know i just think like like for me like I'll set aside like 10 minutes to do something for myself, even if that's like brushing my teeth or combing my hair, you know, because that's like a time that I dedicated to like do something that's gonna make me feel good. So
3: I think for me, um, recently I've been trying to tap into more of like my spiritual side, I guess, to try to um, find um, different parts of self care that I've, that, you know, could be helpful um, that I haven't tried. Um, I've been meditating a lot, and honestly, it's been really—it's been a game changer for me. Um, I use this app, um, shameless plug. I use this app called like in in oh my god, Insight Timer, where it literally has like guided meditations. And before I sleep and when I wake up, I I do it to like Sierra said to set the intentions for the day. Um, and it really grounds me because you know in life we're always rushing and and hustling, and we're never given that time to be grateful for that moment. Um so yeah, I meditate a lot now and I feel like it's really helped me. Um I have healing crystals. Um I'm still trying to learn more about them, but um I do have those as well also for grounding. Um, and um, I also journal the moon so my thoughts are very destructive, self-destructive, so I um I try to also jot down my thoughts and really reflect um every day um you know to to unload that heaviness in my, in my mind as well. So um, yeah, those are some things I do. What about you, Sam? I would, I want to ask what you do for self-care.
0: All right. Um, So I said before, I'll say it all the time. I really love reading. It's just always been my form of escapism. Even when I read, you know, um, I'm reading a lot more nonfiction especially trying to read more about anti-racism, intersectionality and such. But I've also gotten really, like I've always loved superheroes, you know, Marvel, DC, mainly Marvel. Um, But I've been reading a lot more comics recently and um, super excited for the Justice League movie, the Snyder cut coming out on March 18th. Super excited for that. I think just having those worlds and a lot of the stuff, it kind of relates to real life for me because you know we're getting more representation in these things, and so I can still see, still like see myself in them. But it's also nice to just have, you know, what? Okay, Batman, you need to stop the Joker again. Let's go. You know, things like that so comics recently has been my main way of self-care i also have like specific playlists for days where i just need you know a a specific mood or something a vibe um and i light incense my uncle got me this like positive vibes incense for christmas and it legitimately helps (laughs) so i do things like that it's mainly um reading because that's just that's my thing (laughs)
1: I love it, yeah,
3: thanks for sharing that. I feel like Harry Potter series and I always try to shift my realities and it always makes me feel happy when I think I'm at Hogwarts, so love that.
0: Well, with everything, um, wow, we have, I didn't think we'd actually be on the call for almost an hour, but we actually have. Thank you so much to these lovely, lovely SAS peer mentors, for joining me on the podcast today, for all of everything you said, pretty much for being so vulnerable with us and open with us, and also for taking the time to educate us. Um, is there any social media or any resources you all would like to plug?
2: Yes, uh, I will take this opportunity to plug, plug, plug away. So follow us on Instagram. It's CPP or at TPP Survivor Advocacy on Instagram. I think we are, oh, what is it? Survivor Advocacy, CPP or other way around, Marianne? Sorry, um, CPP Survivor Advocacy. Okay, yeah. And then Facebook, I believe we are Survivor, no, what is it? Is it Survivor Advocacy? So. <laughs> Instagram is uh, at Survivor
3: Advocacy. Oh, dang it cut that too instagram (laughs) is at cpp survivor advocacy twitter is at cpp sass facebook is um survivor advocacy (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: you'll find us somehow you'll find us with like a compilation of those words you'll find us at some point (laughs) yeah thank you sam thank you so much for having us this was fun yeah this really was yeah, I'm so glad y'all were able to join.
0: Anytime. And with that said, uh, we'll see y'all in the next episode of Check Talks in two weeks. That Woo! one, I will say, I'm trying to think of who else is running that one. I think it's also me. <laughs> it's me and Brenda, I want to say. so. Stay tuned. Don't forget to follow Saffs at the links they just gave. Those will also be in the description of the episode. And I'm gonna stop recording now once I figure out how to stop recording.